Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. They needed to get the good news out as far out as possible and as quickly as possible. Guess what, guys? We're on that same male squad as well. It's God's, and he's given us the good news. And he's saying, hey, how about you tell people about the good news? There's bad news. That's what makes good news good news, is the fact that there is bad news. Bad news, we're sinners. If we don't want to take and receive his free gift of salvation, then we must account for that ourselves. All of us love it when we hear good news, but what happens when the bad news comes around? Oftentimes, we ignore it, don't take it seriously, or just focus even more on the good news. In today's message, Pastor James wants you to know that you need to listen to the good news of salvation through Christ. Like all good news, there is bad news that comes with it, and you need to take it seriously. The only way to be saved is through Jesus, and He's offering His free gift of grace for you to accept. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Esther chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Esther chapter 8, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, three chapters. King Ahasuerus or Xerxes was, uh, you know, he's ruling the Persian empire at that point in time. And he had a wife, her name was Queen Vashti or Vashti, if you pronounce it that way. I don't know which one's right, but uh, I say Vashti. Um, so they had a party, they had a, a major six-month-long party, and then it went to a, a week-long party with everybody within the kingdom, right? At first it was the elites, and then it's the commoners. And it was at this party that uh, Xerxes asked Queen Vashti to come in and to display her beauty for all to see. And she wasn't having that, right? So she said, no, you're not supposed to do that, okay? And so she was booted out because his advisor said, look, if your wife does this, then our wives will start doing this. So we can't have that. So you need to make a law that says that all wives must submit to their husbands, okay? So Vashti got booted out. Then they, they did this search for the next queen. And then Esther, out of all the young ladies in the Persian Empire, the 127 provinces, she was selected. And so then she got picked to be the next queen. She's Jewish. Her, her uh, cousin who raised her, Mordecai, um, he's ob- obviously Jewish as well. Um, he gets a position within the king's palace, all right? Um, and then, then, then the bad guy shows up, Haman, right? Boo, we don't like that guy, okay? Um, so Haman shows up. He gets promoted, and, uh, and he's just as wicked as can be. And he, he hates Mordecai. Because Mordecai will not bow to him. And so he hates, absolutely hates Mordecai. And he gets the king, Xerxes, to authorize a law where on a specific day, they rolled dice for it, right? The lots, they cast lots for it, Purim, uh, Pur. Uh, and so on this specific day, uh, the Jews would be executed. 
not just Mordecai, but all Jews, okay? And so in the midst of all that, then Mordecai goes to Esther and he's like, look, you, it's, you, are, you are where you're at in, at this moment in time in history for this reason. You have to go to the king. And it could have cost her her life, but Esther was bold. She went before the king, arranged a feast, then arranged another feast. And the other feast allowed Haman the opportunity to go to his home and seek counsel, wicked counsel from his wife and his close uh, you know, associates. And they said, look, just build, um, build some gallows. Really, it's just one giant sharp stick, okay? Uh, and then just kill Mordecai, right? So he goes back, this is where we were last week, he goes back to the king, and he just so happens to show up in the morning um, where the king had spent all night where he couldn't sleep, and he had the records read to him where it said where Mordecai saved his life. What have we done for this guy? We didn't do anything for him. So it just so happens that he seeks out advice from Haman. You know the story. Haman has to parade Mordecai all through the city, right? And um, doing to Mordecai what he himself wanted the most. And then he goes and he's in a bad mood and his family is like, um, this isn't going to end well for you. Because if he's a Jew, obviously there's somebody on his side that's working for him. It's not going to work out too well for you. Second party, second little celebration with Esther and Xerxes. That's when we discover Esther proclaims her nationality. I'm a Jew and Haman wants to kill me and all my family and Xerxes gets mad, loses it. Haman falls on Esther on the couch, begging, pleading for his life. And then he's marched out with the bag on his head and he's executed. Okay, and then we are all happy about that because it's nice when the bad guy loses and the good guys win, right? Um, so that's where we're at. We, we get into chapter eight now where this, there's an issue. Just because the bad guy is dead doesn't mean all the problems are solved because there's an old law that's still there. And the king cannot replace the old law, right? Because that's Persian, that's, that's the Persian law. Once it's set, it's set. But you can make a new law to supersede the old one. And that's, there's really cool parallels there for us. With the old law, Jesus fulfilled the law. Beautiful. And there's a new law, so to speak, that's been put in place. You can look at it like an old covenant and a new covenant kind of a thing. So chapter eight is where we'll pick up. It says that same day, King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the, the estate of Haman, right? Not only did he uh, end up being executed on, on his own execution device, uh, his property, his estate is given over to Queen Esther. It says the enemy of the Jews, that was Haman. The, then Mordecai came into the presence of the king for Esther had revealed how he was uh, related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. Esther then appointed Mordecai over Haman's estate. So Mordecai is now promoted to like basically second in command in all of Persia, right? That's, he's like the ambassador. He is, it, it's Xerxes, and then now it's Mordecai. Isn't that amazing how God works? Isn't that so amazing how God works? Where there's this wicked person, and he's seeking the destruction of all these people. And then God just, he's so in control of everything he takes out that guy, and then he promotes the faithful man, and the man who was very bold and very courageous in his faith and his devotion to God. 
So now he's over Haman's estate. Verse 3, it says, Esther then again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She pleaded with him to stop the evil of Haman, the Agagite. Agagite, right? Remember, that's, that's his family lineage. He goes all the way back, connected to preceding Saul and, and how Saul was disobedient to God um, in dealing with the Amalekites, but all the way back into, into technically into Genesis. But Haman, this is what he represented. This is who he was connected to and his plan that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before the king. She said, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and it seems right to the king, and if I am pleasing in his eyes, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, hey, you know, remember me? I won the beauty contest. <laughs> um, uh, if, if I'm found pleasing in his eyes, <clears throat> let an edict be written, rescinding the dispatches devised by Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha, the Agite, Agagite, it's a hard word to say, um, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were throughout the king's provinces. For how can I endure seeing the disaster that will fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my relatives? So here, here is Esther again. She's just begging and pleading um, just on behalf of her people. We have to do something. There has, there has to be something. I, I like this because Esther's, um, I mean, she obviously not only has looks, but she's got brains too. She's very smart, very smart. She comes up with this plan. And he, you know, they already know what, what's written is written, what is sealed is sealed, but a new law can be written. A new seal can be placed on this. And, and there's a, a, a clever plan that they come up with. But King uh, Xerxes, Ahasuerus, says to Queen Esther in verse 7, and to Mordecai the Jew, I've decided to give Haman's estate to Esther and had him hanged on the gallows because he stretched out his hand against the Jews. Now write in the king's name on behalf of the Jews what seems good to you and seal it with the king's signet ring. For a decree that is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. We know this. But he's giving them free run. Like, he already did that with Haman, and that was, like, not such a good idea, right? And here he is again. He's like, well, I don't know. Again, remember, this king is not really a good leader, okay? Because if you're just, if, if it comes down to very delicate matters such as this, people's lives, you can't just delegate that. Like, I don't know. What do you guys think we should do? Uh, save them. How about that? Like, you're the ruler. Do something. But he entrusts Esther and Mordecai, which I'm glad he did, because um, God has given them wisdom in how to solve this problem. But he gives them his ring. He gives them the ability to write up a new law, what they think is best, and then to seal it. And it's as good as if he himself has done it. Verse 9. So the king's scribes were called at that time, on the 23rd uh, day of the third month, the month of Sivan. Sivan, sorry. I uh, was practicing earlier, and that was one that I forgot to practice. Um, there you go. Uh, we'll call it March. How's that? Um, no, so uh, it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to all the Jews, as well as to the officials, governors, and advisors of all the 127 provinces that stretch from India to Ethiopia. Huge, huge empire, huge empire. To each province, it was written in its own script and in its own language, and also to the Jews in their own writing and language. This decree was written in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed with the king's signet ring, and sent on horseback by couriers who rode on the king's horses, specially bred for their speed. This is that postal system that the Persians had came up with that was absolutely brilliant, and it was the best 
It was the best, you know, to be found anywhere at this moment in time within history. They had a great postal system. Like I said before, they were Amazon Prime before Amazon Prime, right? Like, you wanted something to go out, they could get it out for you. What's really cool about this, this is almost like an illustration for us, because they are carrying good news. They are carrying good news. And you can tell, it doesn't even have to tell us, because you can sense, you can feel the urgency in the matter. They needed to get the good news out as far out as possible and as quickly as possible. Guess what, guys? We're on that same mail squad as well. It's God's, and he's given us the good news. And he's saying, hey, how about you tell people about the good news? There's bad news. That's what makes good news good news, is the fact that there is bad news. Bad news, we're sinners. If we don't want to take and receive his free gift of salvation, then we must account for that ourselves. That's how it goes. That's the bad news. You're born a sinner. Sorry, we may not like that, but that's the news. That's how it is. It's not fake news either. It's actually real news. It's true. But there's good news, and we carry the message, the good news. How swift are we getting out there? Do we take it the same way? Put yourself back here in this day and imagine that you are, you are Jewish and you know you got family that's out there. You got friends that are out there. How quickly are you going to hop on the, that horse's back and get to them as, you know, as, as fast as possible? The bad news is, I mean, everybody already knew about the bad news. Remember, remember when, when it was signed with the signet ring by Haman, even the people in, in, in Susha, in, in the capital there in Persia, they were, they were very troubled by this news because they didn't want their Jewish friends to die. There was no sense in that. So that was the bad news that got out there. And, and now we, there's just this urgency that's there of like, we have to get this message out as quickly as possible and to as many people as possible. And, and, and you can just tell that, I mean, these guys are, they have specific horses and these are horses uh, especially bred for their speed to get out, get the message out as quick as possible. 127 provinces that stretch from India to Ethiopia. Amazing. And they got basically, I think it's around eight months to get the word out. Why? Because death is coming. Because death is coming. We don't know when the Lord Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming back. We feel like that's soon. So the urgency should be that much more within our hearts. He's given us special horses, so to speak, you have the good news. Each and every one of us has the good news. We've all been entrusted with this beautiful message of life. It's just, are we going to hop on those horses and run? You know, that's up to us. And the cool thing about the day and age in which we live is we can do that in various forms. And what's you know, nice about like live streaming, you can, you can live stream stuff out there, radio, you can put stuff on radio and all that good stuff. And that's fine. There's, there's an audience for that. There's a reach for that. But I think there's a greater audience and a greater reach when we just as individuals just wake up each and every day saying, all right, Lord, I got the message. Who do you want me to deliver it to today? We need to be bold. We need to ask, you know, that question to God every single day. And that's a scary thing to ask because sometimes we don't really want to talk to other people, right? It's like, it's intimidating. 
But man, what we're dealing with is life and death. What we're dealing with is eternity, eternity. And I, I can just imagine the king, he's like, seal it with my ring, and, and I'm going to provide you with uh, the best postal service, the best delivery service known around you know, this region so that we get this message out to as many people as possible as quickly as possible. There's, there's a lot of good lessons for us to learn as Christians, even from the Old Testament. That's the cool thing about this, this whole Bible. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. And even in here, it's like, yeah, good practical application point. Get out there. You got the good news. Go share it with people. Share it with people. Ask God to give you divine appointments. Ask him to give you the right words to say. Ask him to give you the boldness. To just to take a step out there. Just go for it. Verse 11. The king granted the right uh, for Jews in every city to assemble themselves and protect themselves. To here you, here you go. To destroy, to kill, to annihilate. The exact same wording from Haman's law, right? To kill, destroy, annihilate, to protect yourself. Any army of any people or province that might attack them and their women and their children and to plunder their possessions. He's given them the right to fight back. It's like, okay, we can't change the law, but here's what we can do. I'll make it a law that you guys have every single right and you'll be protected to fight back. It's like, all right. So now the playing field has been leveled, right? So now it's not just like, we have to try to survive on this day. Oh no, now we can, we have time to bear arms and we can stand our own ground. It says the, the day appointed for all this, uh, for this in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus was the 13th day in the 12th month in the, the month of Adar. A copy of the, the written edict was distributed in every province and made known to the peoples of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers that rode royal horses raced out, pressed on by the king's command. You and I have a king's command as well, right? King Jesus. The decree was also given out at the palace of Sushan. Then Mordecai went out from the king's presence in blue and white royal robes. Pretty cool, right? Blue and white. That's our stage lighting today, if you didn't notice. Blue and white. Also because we're celebrating Purim. Um, and Israel. I love Israel. And blue and white. And here's Mordecai. He's like, got this sweet blue and white robes. Um, good for you, Mordecai. I'll never wear robes, okay? Just by the way. Um, never, ever will I wear a robe, okay? Um, I don't know how guys preach in those things or anything. It just looks, I don't know, whatever. Side, that's a rabbit hole. Um, says with, he's got a large gold crown and also purple, a purple robe of fine linen. The city of Sushan shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews, there was a light and gladness, joy and honor. Proverbs tells us that when a righteous man rules, the people, what they, they, there's a freedom, there's a celebration that happens, Right? When the wicked rules, it's not so good, is it? It's not. When Haman was in charge, so to speak, the people weren't, they didn't like that. But now Mordecai is put in his position and the people celebrate that. Throughout every province and throughout every city, wherever the king's edict and his law went, the Jews had gladness and joy, banquets and holidays. Many peoples of the land became Jews because of the fear of the Jews had overcome them. They're like, uh, I'm Jewish too. Um, that could be because of all the parties and celebrations. No, they're like, um, we want to identify with you guys. It seems like your God is with you. And so we want to be on your team. It's kind of the, 
thought process there. But that's a cool thing. That's a really cool thing. That should also be an encouraging thing as well. You don't have to become Jewish. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower with the gospel. Go out and tell people about the gospel. And wouldn't it be awesome if the people that you're sharing with or the people that are watching your lives say, you know what? I think I want to follow Christ. I think I want to be a Christian. They probably would do that more if we celebrated more. Christians are too much of the, you know, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge type, right? The bah humbug people of the world. Bah humbug. We don't do that. We don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like that. And it's like, do you like anybody? Do you like doing anything? Do you like celebrating? Aren't you, aren't you on the winning side? Why don't we act like it? Maybe more people would be attracted to this thing if we just actually celebrated a little bit more. I'm not saying we, you know, just ignore life's difficulties and all that good stuff. Not at all. But you, I think you understand what I'm talking about. We are connected to Jesus. We win. He won. We win. Eternity, new heaven, new earth. Every single reason to celebrate. Every single reason to be joyful, to be glad. And as we're dropped in this little world for such a time as this, surrounded by people who may not have hope, do they identify with us as people who should have all the hope in the world, but yet we walk around as hopeless ones? Or do they see something in us that's like, I want what you have. I want what you have. That was the greatest witness for me. I shared this with you guys before. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me when I was unsaved. Not verbally, but they certainly did live it out. And I was around kids my age in a youth group where they were just so weird and so different. But their weirdness and their difference was the fact that they were joyful and they had hope and they had peace and they actually like loved. And I was so opposite of that. And I, wanted, I, was, I remember just, I'm an observer. That's who I am. And so a whole year, I only had a year, basically, church experience, I'll say. A little bit as a kid. But voluntarily, only about a year of church experience. And I just watched people. I just watched them. But I watched them live out this witness. And I watched them display these traits and these things, these characteristics that I was like, I want what you have. What they had was Jesus. What I was missing was Jesus. That was the greatest witness for me. So I can, I can speak on behalf of maybe some of those who are closely connected to you, who are not Christ followers. They're watching you. You don't have to live a perfect life, and please don't pretend to live a perfect life, because then you'll be a hypocrite, okay? You don't have it all together. Your life, it's, the, sun, the sun's not going to shine every single day in your life, right? We know that. If, if you're going through a difficult time, you go through a difficult time, but you can still have joy in the midst of the trials and the storms, right? People who are on the outside are looking at you to see like, is this thing real? Is this thing real? I was one of those people. And what, what won me over was, man, this thing is real. Because I watched them go through hard times. I watched some of my friends go through difficult times where it's like, if that happened to me, man, I would have, I, I just, I don't know what I would have done. But somehow they had joy that surpassed their circumstances. People are watching, and, and what's cool about this story is even the people within Persia, even if they all weren't Persians, 
so to speak, but they were watching the Jews in the midst of a very, very crazy storm that they found themselves in. And the Jews are celebrating. They're rejoicing. They got banquets and, and holidays, and they're just celebrating. And the people are watching are like, I want to be in on that. I want some of that. And who wouldn't want that? Our God is the God of the unexpected. He takes impossible situations and flips them on their heads to make a way for His people. The book of Esther is a sparkling example of how God moves in unexpected and miraculous ways, like Haman, who made a gallows for Mordecai but ended up hanging on them himself. Things looked pretty bleak for the Jews of Esther's time, right up until everything changed. When you look at all of the impossible things in your life, remember that there's a God who is greater than every situation that you've ever faced or ever will face. And after He's flipped your impossible situation on its head, it'll be your turn to celebrate and remember the greatness of our God. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. This is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. If you're around, we would love to see you Sunday morning at 10 or Wednesday evenings at 7. Our services are pretty laid back, so come just as you are. And if you can't make it, you can always head over to Facebook and find our live stream. If you're looking to donate to a worthy cause, consider Bread for the Broken, where we help people find hope and new life in Jesus. You can find donation information as well as messages and more on our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, we're out of time. We hope you found new hope in today's message. We loved being a part of your day, and we'll see you right here again next time on Bread for the Broken.